Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. If you're listening to this on the day that it's being released, then today is Sunday, March 7th. Actually, it's Friday, March 5th for me, but as part of the Cue It Up network, we're kind of trying to space things out a little bit, so not that you really cared about that. But hey, as far as you're concerned, it's March 7th. Um, This episode... I had a chance to talk to Ed Ladawi. Ed is the owner of Sandcastle Billiards. Ed is the creative mind and the engine behind the National Billiards League. Um, The pandemic has caused some problems with the National Billiards League, and I know that Ed has struggled with a number of things, and it sounded in conversations that we had had, like he wanted to get some things off his chest maybe, and, and I wanted to check and see, you know, he's got he's got big pie-in-the-sky dreams with this project, and I wanted to check and see where the project was and, and what changes he feels he's going to have to make uh, to make this a success. So again, that was the, the interview for this week. Uh, before we get to that interview, uh, we'll touch on... A little bit of news. Uh, as I say, today is Friday in my world. It's Sunday in yours, but it's Friday in mine. And today was unfortunately the day that Mike Zuglin announced that the Turning Stone Casino had canceled every one of their events out until August. Um, that's end of August, not beginning of August. So the Turning Stone Classic 34 that was scheduled for August 19th through the 22nd is now postponed again until January 6th through the 9th, 2022. Now, there are other events that are taking place before the Turning Stone event was originally scheduled. The trade show, hopefully the Super Billiards Expo, and a number of events in different pool rooms. But as far as Turning Stone, kind of a big one, and that one is postponed again. In better news, uh, Sticks and Stones Billiards has proudly announced that Chris Robinson is their new house pro. Sticks and Stones is located in Louisville, Texas. You can find more information on them on their Facebook page under Sticks and Stones Billiards TX, or you can go to sticksandstones.club and see more information there. But again, Chris Robinson, new house pro over at Sticks and Stones. Uh, while we're talking about house pros, let's move to New York, Amsterdam Billiards. Torsten Holman is the new house pro there. Uh, Tony Robles used to be the house pro, but with Tony relocating to Florida, I still think he should have moved to Arizona. They were, they were missing a, a house pro, and I think they made a great choice in Torsten Homan. Other news, my partner in, uh, well, one of my partners in the Cue It Up network, Nate Mindham, finished up his Women's VG Nine Ball Championship. Kelly Fisher, to, to no one's surprise, did Kelly Fisher win the event. She beat Margaret Fafalova in the finals. What might have been the surprise was that she didn't dominate the event from start to finish. Uh, she made it through on a wild card. It, it came down to a close decision, you know, within a rack or two. But once it got into, and, and let me back up a second, it was four days of action, uh, four ladies, round robin. The top four ladies advanced into a single elimination board, and then the top two runner-up finishers, based on number of racks, ran 
moved into the single elimination. So Kelly kind of squeaked in via wildcard, but once she was there, she was back to her usual dominating self and she won the event. A nice $2,000 payday for her. You know, it's early in the year and and we didn't get the, the Derby City prize money that we normally get in January. Usually, I won't even put the money list up for a year for the, the current year until Derby has happened. Usually we have Music City by then, we have Derby by then, and we've got a decent amount of money, uh, you know, to, to get the money list started. So we don't have that yet this year. Uh, what we do have, to no one's surprise, on the money list is Dennis Arcoyo at the top of the list. Uh, he's We've got him with 15000 in prize money so far in the first, what, two months and five days. Uh, Shane, Fedor, Conrad, Jeff DeLuna fill out the top five. Kelly moves to the top of the ladies' money list. And right behind her is Christina Tkach, who won the Virginia State Championship last weekend. So you like the way that kind of came all back around. Uh, let's see, other news. Billiard Sport Network held their Dynaspheres Cup Junior Championships. Uh, they've been... They've been Building this one up pretty big. Uh, it, it was an event they were real proud of. Uh, and, and and by all rights, they should have been. The 14 and under division was won by Garrett Vaughn from Virginia. His brother, Grayson Vaughn, uh, stayed with him pretty much match for match until right there at the end. The 15 to 18 division was won by Joey Tate. Anybody who follows pool out in that area, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Joey Tate's cashing in events almost every weekend. So he's a junior, yeah, but he's he looks like he's got a very bright future. And I mean, they all seem to play like champions in that area. So again, um, you know, I think congratulations to to the two winners, to Joey and Garrett. But also congratulations to Billiard Sports Network. They had a successful event, and they've got a big pro event coming up first weekend in May. Uh, Dynaspheres Cup 10-Ball Championship, $5,000 added. That'll be at Center Pocket in Bowie, Maryland. So keep your eyes open for that. In other news, Matchroom has the Predator Championship League. It's a new event that they've just gotten started. There's been so much controversy on this one online. I I don't even want to get into it. Uh, Logos on the chest, logos you can wear, you can't wear. I saw that Nate had an interview with Emily over at Matchroom this morning. I have not had a chance to listen to that interview yet, but I'm pretty sure what I know of Nate, that he probably cleared up just about everything there was to clear up for that event. So yes, that event is coming up March 22nd. I'm not going to dive into it because it's a long interview with Ed, and I don't think we need to dive into something that that Nate has already handled quite well. In happier news, I did see the news today that Brewlands Bar and Billiards in Tampa, Florida is working on a Jeanette Lee Legacy Benefit Tournament. This will be April 10th and 11th. Again, Tampa, Florida, Jeannie Seaver and Sonia Shabib, I think I pronounced that right, are putting this one together. Uh, There's an A bracket, a B bracket, 1,500 added from the room. 
Uh, I spoke to Sonia earlier, but we were having technical difficulties in, in actually recording the conversation for the podcast. So basically, doors open at 9, tournament starts at 10, if you're in the Florida area. If you're not in the Florida area, Sonia tells me they are accumulating silent auction items, and they're working on a way that people will be able to bid for them online so even if you can't make it to Florida, there is reason to follow this one online. We'll have more information. Uh, you, you can go to Facebook, uh, Brewlands Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, Wood. So Brewlands Carol Wood. You can get more information. And then we'll have more information on AZ Billiards as we get closer to the tournament. The only other news that I really had, uh, on a sad note... I got a note that a, a player from Fayetteville, North Carolina, by the name of John McLeod, passed away. I'm told that John ran with Pete Horn back in the day. Uh, John was one of the one of the top players in that area, uh, as is the case with so many of the the older players. Uh, back pain, diabetes, they held him down, and and COVID finally got the better of him. So. Again, uh, sadly, John McLeod out in Fayetteville, a good friend of Pete Horn's, well, road partner with Pete Horn's, or Pete Horn has passed away. So uh, let's get on to Ed Ledowie. Uh, Ed talks about, well, he basically talks about the National Billiards League and and all of the plans that he has for that and, and where he is with those plans. So without further ado, Ed Ledowie. Very happy now to be joined by Sandcastle Billiards owner, but you wear a whole lot more hats than that, Ed Ledowie. How, how are things out on the East Coast, Ed? Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me on the show once again. Things are going okay out here. Uh, uh, restrictions are lessening now from 25% to 35% capacity in our billiards industry business. Uh, restaurants are at the same. So things are starting to open up a little bit more, and a lot of people are tired of being home at this time, after all this time. So they're coming out more and more. It seems like we're starting to get over the hump on this. I agree with that. Absolutely. It seems that people are starting to come out. Um, a lot of people are getting over their fears of the virus or are getting vaccinations or more people are becoming more compliant at the same time that we're reluctant to beforehand, understanding others' concerns. And nobody really wants to offend anybody. And especially in the pool rooms when we're pretty much a second family in player rooms. We, we, we miss the competition. We miss seeing each other. We miss playing with each other, despite opposite um, political views or views on masking and so forth. Everyone's been very cooperative for the most part. You guys just had a New Jersey State 10-ball championship? That is correct. The uh, Part of the Mez Tour, actually. The Mez Tour in the Northeast area here, Pennsylvania, Jersey. And I believe they have some locations in New York, maybe Delaware. Uh, we have hosted the New Jersey, obviously, state championships for the Open Division for several years. We've had world-class players play in it and win it and hold New Jersey state champion titles. Darren Appleton, one of them. Um, I believe Nick Eminen, Joey Korsiak, a local pro. And then uh, we have, I believe actually the first one, I don't recall if it was the 8-bowl event or 10-bowl event on the Mez Tour. We had Francisco Bustamante to start it all off, and that's what started the tradition in 2014. So it's been quite some time now that we've been hosting it, and it's just been getting larger and stronger each and every time. We had a monster field this past weekend. Uh, first place winner, congratulations to Jeremy Sassi, and a very, very close runner-up finish by Matt Craw. 
Frankie Hernandez was also in the competition, but he got knocked out earlier. Nice. And uh, the weekend before that, yeah, we had another event as well for the NBL qualifier, our second event. So, I mean, two weekends in a row with 30-plus player fields is a good thing to see once again. And and the NBL, the National Billiard League, you know, that's kind of the main thing that I wanted to talk about today. Um, we had done an interview in the past and we had talked about your plans um, where where are you at with those? I mean, how how is how are things coming together in comparison to what you were hoping for? Well, that was a very thought out plan to begin with, but no one could have planned for the COVID pandemic to shut down the entire globe. And I had to go to Plan B, and I think I'm going to Plan C soon if things don't <laughs> line up in other states. <laughs> um, I did an interview with Skip not long ago um, for an article of the Billiards Buzz and. You know, he was asking me, what, what, are the, what do I foresee in the future? How many events could we have? I said, I can't answer that because I don't have, I have lots of uh, billiard balls, but I don't have a crystal ball. So <laughs> we can't predict how long it's going to take for all states to open up that have participating locations that have been sanctioned for the NBL. And I can no longer wait for that to occur either. So plan A was to have a qualifier for two months in a row and a main event every third month. Now, I don't know if we're going to have even two main events, because even after a state opens up, people are still leery getting out and getting comfortable once again. New Jersey's been opened up for five or six months now, and we're just getting back to a more, quote-unquote, normal frame of mind and comfort level. And that's still being worked upon. We're over the hump, as you mentioned, but still a long way to go. So even if they open up tomorrow, we're still looking at a six-month delay for people to come on out and start playing pool again the way that we did and with the capacity to host a 32 player competition. So it's going to be some time. So plan C may be, you know, I'm may open up more locations to sanction in locations that are ready because I have been constantly contacted by new tour directors and new locations that want to get in, keep on inquiring. How can we be involved in the NBL? We want to, we want to host a location here. So I want it everywhere. Of course. In in addition to the COVID situation, it seems, I'd say from the outside, but, you know, I, I kind of semi-have an idea what's going on on the inside. Um, it seems like there's troubles beyond just COVID, though, trying oh, yeah. to get this thing going and trying to get people on board. What what kind of response are you seeing from, from tournament directors and from players? Well, I'm getting 90% good which is very rare from players and, <laughs> and venues. However, from more inside on the tour, from the tour directors and uh, the other 10% of, of players, there seems to be a, well, I'll admit to a lack of communication or a clarity on a few points that I couldn't legally post on the website because I don't want to get venues in, in any kind of trouble by saying the wrong thing or any room owners or tournament directors that are volunteering their time pretty much. They're getting paid minimal amounts for months of effort. But um, the major factors here beyond COVID is a reluctance to something new, um, an overwhelming fear of the American player to get off the miniature tables, the bar box, and play on regulation equipment. That's one thing. And in general, player participation has always been an Achilles heel to the billiards industry here in America, whether it be on an amateur level or a professional level. I, I 
planned on the NBL design to eliminate that for the pros at least, which they're all on board. I get tons of messages from the professionals. I can't wait for this to come about. And uh, they're happy that it's an American-based league. You must be an American resident to participate as a professional. You don't have to be a citizen, but you do have to be a resident, and proof of residency will be required. But on the amateur front, um, there's still a lot of doubt from amateurs having a chance at winning a qualifier or even cashing in the qualifiers. And from the tour director's side, they're having trouble you know, hosting satellite events prior to their qualifier date to raise money for the top eight payouts, which is one of the plans, one of the original plans before COVID eliminated that. We don't want to sit there with our hands out for added money without being able to offer investors a return on their investment worthy of that. But for the amateur player to get involved and say, oh, I can't win it. There's going to be a favorite there and it's not me. It's just weak. It's a weak mindset. What are you competing for? One, you have to prepare to compete. Nobody practices anymore. Nobody frequents a venue a few days or a week or two weeks beforehand, learning the equipment, practicing on the equipment, getting used to that equipment before they compete at that location. Players in America today just travel from tour to tour to tour to tournament to tournament. We're not players anymore. That's why we can't compete globally. We're just tournament chasers. How, how often does I always ask a player to complains about a handicap in my weekly tournament at Sandcastle. Oh, I should be lower. My rating should be lower. They should be higher. And I ask them, well, let me ask you this. How many hours of practice did you put in this week to prepare to compete? Oh, well, I haven't been playing. I haven't. So what makes you think you can compete? What makes you think you're ready to compete if you haven't put the time in on the table, which we all know this game demands a lot of time. I'm in no shape to enter a bodybuilding contest. But if I go buy a pair of Speedos, and some body oil, I'm not going to win a bodybuilding competition tomorrow. Doesn't that sound quite silly for a pool player to expect the same? It seems from from the experience that I have, um, you're right. A, a player doesn't necessarily practice on the equipment. There isn't a mentality of, hey, you know, I'm out of stroke. Let me let me play a tournament. Uh, that'll that'll give me a chance to play some different competition. You know, give me a chance to to figure out what it is that I need to work on on my game. It's not a an exploration of where am I at right now with my game. It's always I want to have more money in my pocket when I walk out of the room than I walked in with. And you're right. No matter whether they've practiced or not. Exactly. I mean, are we that hungry? Are we that? I know our pros are pretty desperate, if I may say, a bold statement in that, um, because there aren't. There's a lack of a pro tour. There's a lack of our own pro tour. I mean, there's a Euro tour out there. There's Asian events at, at establishments and clubs all the time. They use a tiered system that I've designed in the NBL, where they have qualifiers and they fill the field no problem with waiting lists. Here, we struggle to get players to participate because if oh, if it's just going to the first place winner, I'm not playing. Well, who says you can't win? Uh, a message to all players that are listening that are at least, let's say, a high C class level or a B class level, um, they have a chance to win. And, and proof is in the pudding. And my two qualifiers alone, my very first qualifier, I had a C-plus player, okay, if you want to split hairs, a high C-level player, okay, which is not that great. 
they're not getting out. They're getting out with maybe four balls, maybe five balls best hanging in the pockets on the table after a mistake is made. They beat an open player from New York that came down to compete in the competition. And they didn't win Hill Hill. They destroyed them five games to one in the NBL format. A C-plus player beat an open player five games to one. Alternate break format, set rack pattern, breaking from the spot. The format is a handicap. It forces the player to play the game the right way. That's the whole design of it. If you think you can't win, you're wrong. That's proof number one. Exhibit exhibit B, qualifier number two, a B-class player beat a professional, not a professional, but a close-to professional, a high-end open player. And he's an average B-class player. I don't want to embarrass these higher-ranked players, but this B-class player is a 680 Fargo rate. He's argued as to be as a pro because he's sponsored by a few uh, companies with products and things like that. That's a whole other story there. But what is sponsorship in the billiards industry today? What qualifies and counts as that? But you know, they, they they argue that this guy is a pro. His Fargo is well under you know 700. It's under and the Fargo consideration of a pro is 720 and up. So 719 and below is, a, is still an amateur. Well, this guy's at a 680. And he also got beat. 5-3 was a score on that one by a B-class player. So stop thinking you can't do it. That's what's holding us back from being global competitors. Fear. And we can go on and on about there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Or uncertainty. Or something new. And we are creatures of habit. And I, I expect people to be you know, leery of something new coming along. Especially people that don't know me or who I've worked with or what I've done in the billiards industry for the last couple of decades. Um, I understand that, but here comes a point where it's just common sense and you're seeing people that you beat on a regular basis, beating high level players because of a format leveling out the playing field. So don't be afraid. And, and you talked about the format, a uh, short race, mm-hmm. alternating break. Logically from the outside, um, you would think that that format would still favor the better player. So what is it about the format that, that evens the field? Well, momentum is a huge factor, number one. Uh, a, a greater player can't break and run stringing racks on you in alternate break format. Once a player gets momentum of a couple games ahead, they have more confidence, and confidence is key in the game of pool. Along with confidence, comes consistency. The more balls you make, the more confidence you build, they work hand in hand. The more consistent you are, the more confident you are. The more confident you are, the more consistent you are. And now that's shooting holes in the mental game of your opponent as they're sitting in the chair unable to do anything. So alternate break format really limits that down. It doesn't cut it down to half. It cuts it down about 70% Wow. to really build that, that momentum. And that's from proven statistics that I've studied, that I've seen, even at the highest levels. You know, I'm tournament director over at the International Open down in Virginia, Norfolk, um, for Pat Fleming and the International. How many times have we seen a race to 11, alternate break, the guy's on the hill, maybe his opponent might have maybe two or three games, and the guy needs one, 
and doesn't get there. Without that momentum, letting off the gas when you're getting on the hill is another factor. A lot of players relax, even at the highest levels. They figure they're on the hill. It's inevitable. The other guy's going to make a mistake that he can capitalize on, or he doesn't really have to try so much. It's just going to happen. It's already over. He's already at the finish line before that lady began to sing. And we see it happen at the highest levels. I also see it happen at the amateur level. Players get on the hill, and they've already counted their chickens. They haven't hatched, and they lose. You mentioned that you have a rule for the NBL that they have to be um, American players. What's what's the logic Correct. behind that? Well, we don't have anything of our own. Like I mentioned, Europe has the Euro Tour all around Europe, multiple countries. They play on that tour. Um, from my experience out in Asia, working with Choi Billiards Promotions, the ICEA, the International Chinese Eight Ball Association, I sat on their board as secretary, and they have qualifiers. Yes, they have many more people than we do in China than America, but they have qualifiers with four to 800 players participating for a number of spots at their pro event. Okay. Here in America, we have football with the NFL. We have Major League Baseball. Major League has tryouts. Football, you have to go to college and get drafted or be scouted and discovered. Same thing with the NBA. But we have those paths to a successful million, multi-million dollar organization. In Europe, they have the Euro Tour. Similar, not as large, but very similar structure. In Asia, they have that similar structure. In the Middle East, even, they have that similar structure. I know in, in uh, Qatar, Qatar uh, there's the uh, federation there for the Billiards and Snooker Federation, and they have a similar structure. Here in America, we don't have that structure. That's what's missing to get us to that next level. The millions and millions of dollars will come down the road once we show that we are all in line and following this same structure. When we're organized and structured, the sponsorships will come. And I mean, true sponsorships. We have people graduating from the BEF. April Larson, prime example. What is she doing now? Where is she going? What does she have to look forward to? Lucas Fracasso, Werner, where's he going? Okay. Once they graduate out of the BEF program, the Billiards Education Foundation, which do a great job promoting our juniors, we have some people that are doing the Junior International Championships now, a new tour. In, in an effort to give them something else to go to. There's nothing for them to graduate into other than jumping into the U.S. Open, playing everyone from around the world, or the International Open, playing players from all around the world. They get crushed. They have no chance. There's nothing for us. Our events, our pro events, are random, scattered, independent events that are great events, well-produced, hard work goes into them, and a lot of individuals are doing great things with them. However, it's open to the world, and our players don't have anything of their own to encourage them along the way. That's where I want to fill in that gap. Okay, so how do you bring these tournaments together? Well, I, I do have great relationships with every single person in, in the industry. I don't have any bad, uh, bad blood with other promoters. Uh, I try working with every single one of them. I see other people actually now coming up with similar structured plans as mine. I've, I've listened to some podcasts out there, and I swear I just heard 
other people saying <laughs> my exact same words that I said a year ago. And I get angry for a second. Like, hey, wait a minute. That's my idea. But you know what? I'm glad it's catching on. And I'm happy to promote them because that's what we need. We need to get on the same page. And instead of battling them and calling them out and saying, hey, you're stealing my idea. No, good for you. Make it happen in your area. I'll make it happen in mine. I already have for years. Now I want to see it happen all across the country. And once we start seeing things the same way and restructuring or creating some sort of structure properly, we'll finally get somewhere. Because what we've been doing over and over and over and over again for the last 20, 30 years has not been working. We have so many things that are wrong out there and, and things that look great for a short-term gain or a local prize purse or all the small thinking has got to stop. Everyone's satisfied, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, what's my payout for today? What am I going to make today? You've got to look for tomorrow. How can we have a self-sustaining industry before we go out for major sponsorship, when we go to Johnson and Johnson and say, "Yes, would you? We'll offer you a sponsorship opportunity with hundreds of thousands of viewers watching our event, advertising your product or your service for the low, low price of half a million dollars or one million dollars as a title sponsor of our main event of our Super Bowl." For our World Series. Every other sport in America is doing it. Why can't we? Are we that dumb? Or are we that selfish? So, notoriously, the average pool player doesn't bring a lot to the table as far as pitching professional pool to a Johnson & Johnson or someone like that. Where this is a question that's that's you know been there for for many many years. Where is the reward for a Johnson and Johnson or or any other outside of the industry sponsor? I'm so glad you asked that. It's in viewership. Viewership. Right now, the original plan called for 32 locations all across the country hosting a qualifier on the same exact day. How many views did the, the last election get when people were watching between, you know, who's going to win, what state, what, what state will be blue, what state will be red? Who's, who's going to win that state in California? Who's going to win the state in Florida? Who's going to win the elect, all the votes in New Jersey, in Texas? Everyone across the nation is watching the same exact thing on the same exact day, Right. For an example, for example, with the NBL format or the structure with 32 locations broadcasting their qualifiers, seeing who's going to represent their state, an amateur graduating to the major leagues to get behind and root for another player, regardless whether I know them or not, but I know that they're from my home state. That's my guy. All right, Jersey, let's go, Jersey. You've got this. Let's see you win this title. Let's see you get in the main, in the main event. And let's see you get some cash. I'm happy for you to win. Do we have that? We have local players that are hating on one another or denouncing one another's games or calling each other out to gamble and, and play these matches that try to make themselves feel big. But yet these same people that call out other players that they know that they're better than, that they can have an easy time beating, are scared to step into a field of 32 other amateurs or 31 other amateurs and win an alternate break race to five for 150 bucks. 
I've got 10,000 that'll, that says he'll beat you, knowing that they don't have two nickels to rub together, but they've got a couple backers that have faith in their game. Yet they don't have faith in themselves to put up 150 or find up 150, find 150 bucks to play in a tournament, which gets them a $4,000 prize package and a chance at a $200,000 prize purse if all goes well. That mentality has to change. I, I want to go down the conversation road of sponsorship. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, I'm seeing the vision that you have. So there's, mm-hmm. there is a stream. And, and, and stop me where right. I'm wrong here, because Lord knows I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong here somewhere. Um, there We're is a wrong. stream that people can, <laughs> can tune in and watch. And mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. you're told... Okay, there's 32 events going on. Uh, here's an update from the Arizona qualifier. And while we're checking that mm-hmm. out, you know, this is going on in the New Jersey qualifier. I mean, you and mm-hmm. I have have watched streaming online. Let's let's say you get every viewer who is who's right. jumping on Facebook during the weekend mm-hmm. and, and watching a miscellaneous stream here and there. What are we looking at? Mm-hmm. 20, 25,000 people? I mean, is that enough to get attention? Not even close, not even close. You actually touched on two topics within streaming and broadcasting. Number one, Facebook is not our friend. Facebook is not our friend, nor is YouTube. When they take 80% of the profits they make from their advertisers and put it in their pocket and throw us the peanuts of the 20% left over, there's nothing left for us to put into a prize purse. There's nothing left for us to buy more equipment to stream with or to pay our internet service providers or our commentators or our players, our staff members. NBL has partnered with our own proprietary server, our own equipment. Um, this last broadcast that I did for the New Jersey State 10 Bowl Championships on the Mez Tour, I did without Facebook and without YouTube. Okay, but before I even give you those numbers, let me touch on the 32 location streaming. Everyone has their own following. Um, on the Wire Media has their own following. POV Pool has their own following. Ray Hansen has his own following. Uh, XPC down in Florida, Gary Gilson, and a great guy also has his own following. We need to bring these, uh, Upstate Al in New York, all these streamers, and of course, one of our only, or maybe our only production, true production company, AccuStats Video Productions, has the largest following. I, Ed Ladawi, have a huge following on my own. But putting them together gives us hundreds of thousands of views. The first NBL qualifier that was broadcast, I did as an example of what the main event would be like with the musical entertainment, with the intros, with the bios on the players, the player cards, and so forth. That was just to give a taste of what some events would be like. I did broadcast on NBLUSA.com, the website, directly, as well as Facebook. And let me give you a taste of my following for that alone your average stream that's free no pay-per-views free stream only yields about 10 to 25,000 viewers on average for free that that stream in the first three hours had 56,000 viewers in the first three hours 56,000 views I checked back two hours after that, and we were at 68,000 views on the very first broadcast of the amateur-level New Jersey qualifier. 
what do you think those numbers are going to be when we have the pros? And that, no, that was with Facebook and uh, NBLUSA.com website directly. That's huge. But we need to get off of Facebook because what do we get the Facebook from? Nothing. I got nothing from Facebook to put in. Okay. My second qualifier for the NBL two weekends ago, I dropped the Facebook and I just wanted to see what the numbers would be like. And I didn't promote this event as much as the first one because I had Earl Strickland as a special guest. I had Jennifer Beretta as a special guest. Nate Mindham as a special guest. And they were doing commentary. We wanted to do more interviews. Didn't even get to that. We had the musicians and things were taking a lot longer. Than I don't want to have the players waiting all day long. They were they already ran too late to begin with. So we cut down a bit. So the second one, I just wanted to do a simple, basic tournament. Get the tournament done and over with. Eight to ten hours as a qualifier and over with. So I didn't promote it as I did the first one. And I dropped using Facebook Live. I only went on NBLUSA.com. And um, in conjunction with this past weekend, the, the Mez Tour 10-ball event. I've got over 4,000 views just from either NBLUSA.com or SandcastleBilliards.com using our own proprietary platform whom I partnered with, um, with OSPN, on-site pool network. Also manages the websites. So there's a lot that comes along with that. There's plans in the future. What, what, what is the benefit of that? Why drop Facebook if it's such a big outreach and we lose so many numbers? And because we, don't, we can't monetize that. Facebook controls that. We don't. We need to be in control of our own industry. We have to stop allowing these outside companies to control our players' money, our players' images, our players' footage. It's our industry. We need to control it. So by funneling all these locations and streamers through our server at nblusa.com, we gather all these analytics from Rahanna's 5,000 viewers, from Gary Gilson's 5,000 viewers, from POV Pool Dan's uh, 5,000 viewers, or AccuStats 10, 20,000 viewers, and so forth and so forth. My 46,000 viewers, I'm sorry, 68,000 viewers rather than being on Facebook, go through our server. And then we grab these analytics of 300, 400, 500,000 viewers of one event. And this is an amateur level event. What happens when we have the main event with all the big names? Amateurs versus pros. Men and women battling it out. Juniors up and coming also making the cut and playing at the main event. Now we're talking about millions of views. And that's a conservative number. A very conservative number going on our statistics already proven that we can take to Johnson and Johnson and offer them a return on their investment greater than any one television network can offer them. If they want to be an advertiser and have a commercial 30 seconds, 10,000 60 second commercials, 20,000. Now there's money in the pot to add to qualifiers, to staff getting paid to players, pots to the main prize fund. If you want to be a title sponsor, it's going to be half a million or a million dollars. End of story. Just like every other sport. Okay. So, uh, I, I, again, I, I see the big picture. I, I want to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. We, This is something that, that pool players and tournament directors and room owners have been promised from various people for years and years. And it's, you're a room owner. If you come on board... Right. 
with this plan than the players and the tournament directors will follow. And the players are told, if you come on board with this plan, then the room owners and the tournament directors will follow. And, and you see where it's going. So what what is the spark that is needed to get this bonfire lit? I think just a union of, a union of amateur and professional players really coming together and, and just joining in. I mean, to get that spark for the, for the amateur players, they have to stop thinking about their short-term goals of making 500 bucks or $1,000 in a small event or $6,000 in a bar box event. Even I had one player that didn't play in an NBL qualifier because he had a bar box tournament and he made $6,000. That's great. You could buy a used car. You might be able to pay your mortgage for a couple of months. How many of those tournaments are you going to win? Not many. I'm I'm also in the midst of working deals with, or I've had them waiting with insurance companies for dental and vision plans, health benefits, a group health plan. There will be an NBL group health plan. I'm building a career option for players, not a one-time payday where they have to win a tournament. There's going to be other venues or avenues of, of revenue coming in, one being through streaming as well. When these players' footage is captured in NBL events, going through our server, going through this platform, their player ID will be tagged on each and every video that they're in. And the two players in each match, win or lose, will be paid 20% each of every pay-per-view click. And now they can promote themselves. Hey, check out my match with Mike Howard, and we went hill-hill. Uh, he got me in the last rack. It was a great safety battle. I, got, I thought I had him locked up on two fouls, but he kicked out of it, made the ball, and he got out on me. It was an incredible match. Check it out. Even if it's a four ninety five pay-per-view after the fact, someone clicks on it, we're each getting a buck. I lost. I'm still getting paid. Residual passive income is also in the plan for the players as well. So that's one thing for the players, <laughs> you know, the, the health plan, the benefits, uh, residual income, even if they lose. And for an amateur player, putting up 150 bucks to get to that level, what is that? That's peanuts. That's nothing. The NFL, the MLB, the PGA Tour, you can't play in one event and qualify for a pro event. So just forget about the money factor. There are all, all these people that are just looking at dollar bills or what's in their pocket on the short term. What other professional sports industry gives you an opportunity to win one little event with 31 other amateurs and make it on the pro tour? No other industry that I know of. And the rooms that are participating get regular foot traffic every month. They're also going to promote themselves with their, their local sponsors for those streams. They're welcome. None of that money is being asked for. And we want to. We want every room involved. We want every streamer involved, and I want to do some cross promotions with all of them. So I, I can see the success, big picture. You know, I, I can see the goal, and and the goal is great, mm -hmm. and and it's something that the industry has needed for a long time. Um, do you have a vision for a time frame? I, it's hard with the COVID situation slowing everything down. It's almost like I have to start all over again because venues have closed down. 
um, sanctioned venues have been held back from opening. Um, tournament directors have lost jobs. They have families to feed. They no longer have the time to put in for practically nothing. You know, um, I'm trying to be as transparent as possible so no one has to worry about anything. I know there's some confusion there, but there's a thousand pros and one con. You lose 150 bucks if you don't win the qualifier. But if you're going to win cash that day with the Calcutta where it's allowed or a side pot or if outside local sponsors want to sponsor that event and throw in $1,000, $1,200, so everyone gets their money back in the top eight places. So you don't have to lose. You know, that's the only one con. If the players are so scared to lose 150 bucks, maybe it's not for you. But as track record has shown, C-plus and B players have beaten open players and have come within the top three to get to the next level. So what does that spark to inspire? Everyone has to find it within. We need to find those good people that are not as scared they're not scared to put up 150 bucks to get to a pro event with a projected $200,000 prize purse. And it's going to take some time. So a projected time frame, if it takes all year to have one big event and get there, so be it. But I'm no longer going to wait for all the venues to re to reopen or tournament directors to um, finally get moving on projects. I've been on the tail of many that have been slacking and they're, let me give credit first off to a bunch of people that have been doing great, that have fields full, ready to go once restrictions let up in their area and their room owners are, are comfortable having that many people in their establishment or are allowed to have that establishment. I'd like to thank James Harris out in California, Nate Mendham in Wisconsin, Gloria Jean with the Ride the Nine Tour out in Rhode Island. They've all been busting their tails, do a lot of things. Um, Nate Mendham has his people ready, waiting to go. We have people down in Florida joining the force now, helping other tour directors. So it's starting to come together where tour directors that never worked worked together before are starting to come together to make this happen because they do see the big picture. They see the end game. I don't think a lot of people. um, West Virginia, the league room, another one that tried to put something together, didn't work out. I also have to say a big thank you to Carlos Sanchez in Texas. We've got two qualified players from Texas, one from California. Um, one from Rhode Island, and two from New Jersey. Soon we're going to have a qualified amateur from Florida. So that's only a handful of players out of 64 that we need. I can't wait all year long for everyone to get on board and get moving. So those movers and shakers, you want to be a true hustler, get your asses moving. Otherwise, you'll be replaced, and we're going to have more venues. And the first 64 to qualify in or the first 64 locations to host the qualifiers and fill those fields, and the players that want it will show up. Um, Janet Atwell is another person that's interested with borderline billiards in her location. And she even has sponsors that are interested, but again, I'm not going to accept sponsorship until it's a true sponsorship when we can offer them something for their investment. That's the next plan, plan C. <laughs> and, and I guess, that, you know, now's a good time to, to go down that road. Um, you, mm-hmm. you have some pretty strong uh, feelings when it comes to sponsorship. Right. Right. Now I know that there's, Sponsorship is a big issue out in the billiards industry right now with some events going on. And I always say, what is sponsorship? You know, there's, there's, it's great that a lot of companies are product sponsors. They might give you cloth or balls or T-shirts or gloves or cue sticks. But when you go into an event, none of those items can pay for your hotel room or your flight or your entry fee. Some sponsorships for pros give them a salary 
or they pay for their entry fees into events as part of their contracts. That's sponsorship. Products, unfortunately, are not enough to qualify as a sponsorship in my eyes. Um, it's support, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a great gesture, and it does cost money to a degree. However, again, for that player to make money in an event, they have to spend, on average, 1000 to $2,200 we're talking about pros or even open players traveling and paying entry fees into an event. If they don't come in fifth place or better, they lose money on their venture. A lot of times, third place or better. So what is that T-shirt or that Q-stick doing for them at that time? How does that help? That's my gripe with it. People may agree or disagree. Cash talks, the rest walks. But don't you feel... You know, if if I'm a player and, you know, I've got a deal with with XYZQ company and they give me product or whatever, I, I guess the I guess the question is, as as a player, how are they going to feel about being told I need to know your business as far as your sponsors go? Oh, no, there, there's three spots allowed for sponsors. But I'd like to see the sponsors actually putting them into these events. I already have one. And I'll give thanks and recognition to Richard Sue. Um, people may have heard of his Tsunami Shafts out of Brooklyn, New York. I believe he's Brooklyn. <clears throat> Excuse me. He sponsored a player into my second qualifier. That player wore his shirt, his logo, RJS Custom Cues. Right? That player for $150 from that sponsor. Q sponsor, no Q stick required. Less money than a Q stick. $150 was paid for by Richard Sue for one of our players, for one of the players that entered the qualifier. That player won the qualifier. Richard Sue is now represented in the main event. His patch is in there. It's that simple. You can sponsor an amateur player or a professional for less than what the products will cost you. So if they have a deal with a sponsor and they're very comfortable and they want to wear their patch, that's great. That's fine. But I'd really prefer to have the sponsor actually sponsor your way into the event where you can make money, not just be a billboard for the product. And you say you're limiting it to three patches from from sponsors at and that, of course that's up to the player. So whatever level, I mean they might have given Correct. it ten bucks, but you're limiting right. that to three. Okay. Three, correct. Three, three sponsor patches on the chest of the player's jersey. And, uh, and just to remind everyone that there are actual jerseys being awarded to these qualifier winners and the professionals that pay their way in also. So that's another expense that's being taken care of from the monies collected and generated through the qualifiers. And let me just clarify that these are qualifying events. These are not cash tournaments. These are qualifying events to get into a pro event. So it's a different structure as far as the money goes. But three patches are allowed. And, and you know, we've talked about the, the event that they're trying to qualify for. Um, and, and your original intention was to have two a year. It sounds... Four. Four, okay. Actually. Four a year. Mm -hmm. Every three um, months. Correct. It sounds from you know the current situation and what you've said, and it's certainly not everything that you're shooting for, but it sounds like you mm -hmm. would be, you would be 
I'll say satisfied, but that's not really the word yeah. I'm looking for. If you had one of those by the end of the year, is is that correct? I'd be satisfied if we have a full $200,000 prize purse with one main event at the end of the year. Yes. I'd be very satisfied if we could pull off, if everyone jumps in within the next two months, we could still have two events with a $200,000 prize purse. But again, we must fill the fields. I'm calling out all players to do their part. I have a bunch of tour directors, a bunch of venues that are giving up money giving up time, donating their venues, losing money on the day to host qualifiers because tournaments in a venue that's just a run-of-the-mill you know, pool room that doesn't have alcohol or food to sell, or even if they do, lose money. They still lose money, just not as much. They lose money by giving up their tables, the wear and tear on the tables, rather than charging table time. I mean, what is a green fee for a normal tournament, five or ten bucks? That doesn't cover the wear and tear on the table. Okay, The venues are giving that up. Tour directors are giving up endless hours of time and, and efforts, constantly dragging people in to give players an opportunity. And I'm not trying to rag on the players because I'm a, I'm a pool player myself. I'm a player before I'm a room owner. I'm a player before I'm a promoter. I'm an enthusiast of the game before I'm a player. And this is all for the benefit, the greater good, for uplifting the game in America. We're a laughing stock in the world. We can no longer compete with anyone in the world. If you think otherwise, check again. We have a handful of people, players that can hang, but they can't win in world championships. And we need to get American players back on that level by following the same structure every other country does, but us. Okay. So you and I have both heard the, the pie in the sky numbers. You know, there's, there's, mm -hmm. X million of people, number of people who, who hit a ball once a month or, or whatever the numbers are. Okay. So let's say I'm one of those millions of people who are interested in pool enough and would like to see the game move forward. Remind right. them where they get information about national billiard league. Well, nblusa.com. The website will be updated to be, a little bit more elaborate on uh, money breakdowns because some are just worried about that. Um, but there's also a few new exciting things to add in there. We're going to be changing locations. We're going to be adding in and removing some locations around the country. So there's a map on site where you can just click on that. We tried to make it as simple as possible. Everything is written in code from scratch. The logo, the design of the map, everything. There's the map of the U.S., the states that are colored in are red, you just hover over the empty states, they'll turn blue. But the states that are red have a location marker with an NBL logo. Rather than like a Google Maps marker, it's, a it's an NBL logo. When you click on that logo, a little window pops up, and it's a little information form or a, a contact form, rather. That will automatically email your local tour director. You'll give in your phone number, your email address, and your preference of how you'd like to be contacted. And there's a little window there to type a few words or a few sentences expressing your interest. So nblusa.com. Click on the site, and a tour director will get back to you. If not, message me personally. You can hover over any one of the blank states that are not occupied right now or that are not hosting anything, and that will send me an email. You can click on Sandcastle and send me an email as well. I check my email every single day. And I go after the tour directors that are not responding to their emails. If they haven't gotten back to you in time, they're busy or whatever, 
whatever the case may be. If they don't follow up with you, I personally will be following up as I have already have with hundreds of people across the country. So one of us will get back to you shortly, but it all starts at nblusa.com. I realize it's a slow process and, and certainly mm-hmm. as long as either one of us have been in the industry, we understand that. Um, right. It's going to take time. Right. But I think you're deserving of a lot of credit for trying to make this happen. You know, the, the pool world is full of people who say, God, I wish the, the prize funds were bigger. I wish the pool world was better. Okay, that's it. But, you know, you're, you're trying to do something about it. And, and you definitely deserve kudos for that. Um, well, thank I, you very much. When is, when is your next qualifier? What are the next qualifiers you have on the schedule? Um, there's one at the end of the month at Skinny Bob's in Texas. Um, they're looking to solidify a date because they do have the Texas Open. The first uh, attempted date was going to be the 6th. Now, that's not going to happen. It got rescheduled to the 27th, but now there's another event going on on the 27th. So they're trying to finalize that, whether they make it on Friday the 26th, perhaps. But they're all flexible working with one another. So at the end of the month, there will be one in Texas. Um, Florida is soon to have one. And Wisconsin is looking to have one soon as well. Wisconsin's already full. But um, Florida, I think, has some openings, and Texas definitely has some has some openings still. So they're about two-thirds of the way there with their fields. But feel free to contact Carlos Sanchez in Texas, or um, we just signed on a new person. I can't remember her last name. Sorry, Carrie, down in Florida. I can't recall her last name off the top of my head. Sorry, Carrie. <laughs> she just joined up, and she's helping out. Or just contact Capone's. Rocky, Rocky McElroy at Capone's, he's hosting. Um, Carrie is the term director for all of the things there. So she's joining in because she knows the schedule. So now they're just trying to pinpoint a date. And her joining on board will save a lot of time. So I'm going to be personally reaching out to the room owners because there's been some breakdown in communications with tour directors and the room owner. As I had some room owners contact me saying that they didn't even know that they were hosting. <laughs> and I thought that I was already cleared out with the tour director. TV there. So, yeah, no, we have them all the time. I, yeah, I'll let them know. I'll let them know. And I'm finding out that's not the case. But that's my that's my my, uh, my job to deal with. No one else is concerned. But um, you touched on something I wanted to mention. So you don't know what the numbers are as far as how many people we have out there. I did a rough estimate about uh, league players, tournament players, and so forth of all events, the numbers on average. Um, I did the research on that, and it was just around 2 million players that play on a regular basis in America, a little bit over 2 million players that regularly participate in either league or tournament play at all levels. Now, we have two different worlds in the billiards industry in America. We have the bar leagues and seven-foot tables. Then we have the tournament world with nine-foot tables, and we have to, we have to merge those. But just for an example, um, the largest bar league that everyone's come with and most familiar with and has been around the longest, the APA. They do a great job in organizing, putting things together. They have 180,000 active members currently. They charge an annual membership fee of $20. And I'm not trying to single them out. I'm just using them as an example of how powerful we could be for ourselves without asking for outside sponsorship or added monies or putting our hands out like panhandlers as we have been. What's the math on that? 180,000 players times $20 a year 
We're talking about three and three and a half million dollars right there, just from membership fees. If we did that on a pro level, we have our our, our money right there without sponsorship. Then we can offer, you know, through broadcasting and advertisers and advertisement opportunities and everything. Then we can start asking for millions. We already need our we need our own million dollar league plus self-sustaining self-established as a unified force as an organization across the country then we can start going to sponsors and johnson and johnson and so forth saying hey we need more money <laughs> or we're not asking for money we're offering them an advertisement opportunity to get their brand across millions of viewers when you when you talk about the APA leagues or or you talk about any mm -hmm. league, it feels to me like you're selling a a different product though. When when you're going mm -hmm. to an APA player, you're selling them the idea of you're going to get together once a week with your buddies. You're going to hit some balls. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to play to your competition. You know your 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 need to compete. You're going to have a good mm -hmm. time, but a tournament is a different thing. You're selling it's a them. different animal, right? Right. So how do you how do you make that tournament attractive to those other players? Well, look at all the commitments required to play in league. How many times have you heard league players complaining that their teammates don't show up? They have to constantly babysit their teammates. Oh, are you showing up tonight? Are you not playing? Or wait, we have too many players. Who's going to have to sit out? Well, I want to play. I want to play. This is not a team event. This is a singles league. What does that mean? You're out on your own. You don't have to babysit anyone else. And when you win, you win all the money. In addition to that, how many months of commitment do they sign up for in your typical bar leagues? There is no commitment with the NBL. You play in one event, you win that event, you go to the Nationals. That's it. One event, you and your competitors. You win that one event, which is usually a one-day event, sometimes a two-day event, and you go to the National main event. Again, a projected prize first of 200000 So when you win, I don't expect, again, I don't expect an amateur to win the first place prize of $30,000. I do expect him to make $5,000 for himself, all expense paid. The leagues, they pay your trip. Some of them pay for the hotel room or the flight. No, that's it. No one pays for everything. The NBL is slated to pay for everything. All the players have to do is fill the field. That's all I ask. Players have to do their part in their area to fill a field of 32. That's it. So, more money, no commitment. You can play in one event, you win it, great. You're going to the Nationals. Fully covered and winning big money. If you don't win the event, that's it. Play again when you want to. There's no commitment. This is designed for the weekend warrior who has a family, who has a job, that can't commit to week after week after week after week playing, who can't stand relying upon their teammates. Or if you're the powerhouse of your team and they're always relying upon you for the win, that's another thing you don't have to worry about. You're winning for yourself. You don't have to chase them. Later on, we may have special events of teams, but I'm not really interested in even going down that avenue right now. Right now, we just need a pro tour. We're structured like golf. So we have to, you know, start off like that first and grow from there. Okay. 
Well, I, again, you know, I, I see the big picture. I, I wish you all the success in the world. I mean, certainly it, it would benefit all of us. It, it, what you have in mind doesn't just benefit the amateur player. It benefits the entire industry, and, and right. that's what we need. The amateur player can qualify. They can get a fully paid trip, all expenses paid, and win more money at the main event. Professionals don't have to compete against the Asian players coming over and robbing our tournaments, the Euros coming over and robbing our tournaments. The, the venues that are involved don't have to put any money in. This is regular foot traffic. This is something designed for the industry to have an industry. We keep saying the industry, but we're just a bunch of scattered independent events and independent promoters and lost players looking for something. We need to really be a unified industry. And just because it has an NBL logo on it doesn't mean that it can't have an APA patch on a player. So, again, bar leagues sponsor your players in, put your local patch on them. They win the qualifier. That patch gets promoted in the NBL events as well. I want the promotion of players to be a focus. I want to stimulate, I want to stimulate the activity in pool rooms once again, not just the bars. The main events are also going to be in the hosting venues. In a pool room, no hotels, no ballrooms, no casinos. They also take from us without giving back. They might put up a $25,000 added, but they're making $3 million on the, on the craps table in return. So we have to keep it within our own and keep our own money through broadcasting platforms, not outside. All that, all that money that comes in through those advertising venues or pay-per-views or anything goes back to the players, goes back with we keep it within the industry and we all share. Then we have a pie. Everyone wants a piece of a pie that's not, not even a pie. It's only crumbs. <laughs> right. And we're all fighting over them. There is no pie. We have to create it. We don't have one. We don't have the structure. We haven't had the structure, let's say. This is the structure. And a lot of professionals are waiting for it to happen. They're excited. A lot of them message me all the time. I don't want to put them on the chopping block or anything, but, you know, that's there. So, we have health benefits in the works. We have a 401k plan in the work. We have our own broadcasting platform. We can be the NBL. We can be the billiard channel on our own. And I also have deals right now working with Roku TV, Apple TV, and all the way of the, the wave of the future of broadcasting, not only through streaming and pay-per-view, but also regular television networks already in the works. I already have a player protection plan as far as a, a player representative, like an agent, a player agent to protect players use of likeness and their footage all in the works We're on the board of the directors. We're drawing up the contracts now. And these are contracts not to own the players as many organizations have tried to do before where a player can't play in another event or this is not our event. We can't play. No, it's not to control the players. It's to protect the players from being taken advantage of as they have been for several years and several pros are ready to sign. Like where's the contract? I said, no, it's not done yet. We, there's a lot of legalities to work out. So we want to make sure it is in, in your best interest and you're fully covered. That's all I've got, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's quite a bit. That's, all. that's a lot to swallow for anybody. Uh, and, and I certainly don't envy you trying to keep track of all that. But I, again, I appreciate your time. You know, you're always, 
willing to come on the show and talk about the plans and where you're at with them. Uh, I appreciate that. And I look forward to catching up with you again here down the road in a couple of months and seeing where things are at. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Talk to you soon. all that you guys do. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. That was Ed. You know, I feel for Ed. He, the game, the game seems to gather people who, who love the sport and want to do something good for it. And they see, they see where the game is at, the game of pro pool, and and they want so much better for it. And, and they want to, you know, especially with Ed, he wants to do everything. He wants to fix everything. It's not, it's not a quick process. If you're going to fix the game of professional pool, you've got to drag it kicking and screaming to that fix because the players and the room owners and, and they've heard so long that this is going to be it and, and this idea is going to be it and all you got to do is, is trust. I mean, it's almost like the pool players have been in an abusive relationship and their partner, well, as far as pool goes, a different partner, keeps telling them, no, no, this one will be the one. This one will be the one. Just, just trust me. And, well, you know, that's where we are. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I mean, I wish Ed all the luck in the world. And, and I, I love his ideas. And he, he's motivated. And, and he's not in any way lying about what he wants to do. He, he believes in what he wants to do. And if he's able to make everything happen that he wants to try to do, the game will be in an amazing place. But... He's going to have to drag the pool players there kicking and screaming. So that's that's Ed Ladawi. Uh, you know, that's the, the episode this week. I appreciate everybody listening. Remember, American Billiard Radio is now a part of the Cue It Up Network. And as we've talked about in the past, the Cue It Up Network is a, a collection of podcasts that have joined together to try to give the pool player podcast listener as much content as they can possibly have because chalk is cheap and cue it up in american billiard radio if if you just listen to one of those or if you just listen to two of them you're not getting the whole picture you know there's a whole lot more out there and 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 believe me there's more than just the three of us you know joey ryan's doing a great job over there with pool player podcast and i see things on facebook for podcasts that are happening over in europe but as far as American Billiard Radio goes, we're part of the Cue It Up Network, newly formed network. Uh, Chalk is cheap with Nick Olson. Cue It Up with Demetrius and Rob and Nate. And then American Billiard Radio with myself. So I know that Nick has an interview with Rodney Morris coming up for a Chalk is Cheap episode. Uh, Tuesday, the whole gang. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of... Uh, what kind of cluster that's going to be, but the whole gang should be getting together Tuesday for an episode, just bringing everybody up to speed on their own individual outlook on the game. Uh, but as far as this episode goes, that was Ed Ladawi. I'm Mike Howerton. This is American Billiard Radio, and I thank you for listening. And Dave, we are always thinking about you. Mm-hmm.